0: It is the only function that sits around the table that can look not only outside of the company in the industry and look what's going on, but longevity as well. Where are the early market indicators? Where should we be moving? And then, you know, helping the rest of the functions in the organization, sales, product development and customer success, understand here's what's going on. Here's where we should be skating towards. So it's a really important, impactful role. If we get out of the mundane day-to-day, which is why playing it small and just keeping your head under the covers and just delivering on your pipeline is not going to be good enough.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-friend of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Pavey Por Pavy is a former executive, having been a CMO and worked at companies like Oracle and VMware, as well as startups, both here and in Silicon Valley. And now she's an executive coach, helping people overcome the challenges we have in our minds and in the workplace. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors podcast, Pavey.
0: Thank you, Matt. Nice to be here.
1: Absolute pleasure. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B tech marketing.
0: Yeah, B2B tech marketing. It's been my entire career. So 25 years in B2B tech companies, mostly in Silicon Valley. So I spent over 20 years in San Francisco, glorious days, and then also worked this side of the pond as well.
1: Wow. And you've worked for some big companies, haven't you? Some of the large companies out there, aren't they? BEA and Oracle and VMware and, you know, as well as some startups. So you've kind of covered all bases in a way, haven't you?
0: Yeah. I was like VP of marketing when I left VMware who just got sold. So that's kind of come full circle. Uh, You see a lot Um, of things in this industry over 25 years. And then mm -hmm. also CMO at a few startups and then did some interim roles. And I thought, you know, what can I do next? I got to kind of that point where I reached C-level and I thought, yeah, I'd like to help more people. And so now I am exclusively coaching.
1: Awesome. So I have an idea, and this is sort of leading into the fact that you're talking to lots of the people that this podcast is really centered around. And I have an idea of kind of what's happening out there because, you know, I speak to a lot of B2B tech marketing leaders each week, but Paver, you're also doing that now through Mm. your coaching, aren't you? So What do you think is the sort of sentiment amongst these people right now then?
0: Yeah, I mean, I just came back from California. And so, you know, when you touch base with people in Silicon Valley, our industry, B2B tech, is influenced with what's happening over in the States. And so the sentiment over there is I think it's been a knock-on for the last year since sort of Silicon Valley Bank went down and everybody's being a bit cautious. So I kind of view it as a little bit of crunch time. Plus, you know, both the US and UK economies and what's going on there. I think whether you're a thriving large company, a smaller startup, everyone's being just a little bit more cautious right now. And that's having an interesting effect on individuals.
1: And, you know, from our side, you know, we've spoken to a lot of people who've been made redundant, you know, this almost feels like a, I know a lot of caution out there, but certainly within the sort of startup and scale up world, it feels like there's been a bit of a correction as well. So lots of these companies that have been out there spending money that was probably easier to come by when you're thinking of it retrospectively. It's been a, quite a shock for a lot of people, actually.
0: Yeah. And again, it's a knock-on, isn't it? The VCs tighten their belt and everybody has to kind of follow suit. So, you know, it's that usual place that marketing has found itself in for many a decade, which is do more with less. Yes. The budget might not be quite what it was. You may not get the contractors. And as you said, even layoffs as well.
1: Yeah. And I can imagine some people might think with this in mind then, that actually, you know, with smaller budgets, with the fact there's a little bit more caution out there, Let's play it safe. You know, you go back to kind of what we know works, go back to the programs that we've delivered before that have an ROI. Do you think I'm right or do you think I'm wrong then when I'm saying that people should be thinking about playing it safe right now?
0: Yeah, so I'd like to think that it's not really just a time to play it safe, right? Because I don't think anybody really got to greatness out of mediocrity and just kind of doing the safe stuff. I think there's a time and a place for if you've got tried and true programs, Yeah, absolutely. Implement them. But at what percentage, right? So at best, 50% play it safe. But then, you know, do something bigger and bolder. You know, when you and I talk, Matt, you know, I've got a certain view of marketing, which is there's small M and there's big M. So the small M kind of marketing is you market the products or the services, right? You kind of, you know, do what it says on the box. But the big M, it's this bigger opportunity to actually look at what it's happening in the broader marketplace and look at those industry insights and trends and bring that back to the company. And it's a much larger role. So I think just like when marketeers are kind of looking at what's my role and my value right now, that's kind of a good ethos for them to take on board of how should I be showing up?
1: Yeah, because I think a lot of marketers want to influence, don't they? And I think Ooh. when we spoke the other week, you hit the nail on the head is that out of all these people who are sat around a table, you know, senior leadership team, marketing has the privilege that they're actually outwardly looking a lot of the time in terms of these insights and the creativity and could be seen as the person to be able to steer the business through these types of the situations that we're in right now. So, Yeah, I think a lot of the time marketeers almost have the fear that actually the pipeline sits with them, the MQLs sit with them, and this sort of pressure mounts and mounts and mounts rather than sort of taking a step outside of that and thinking, yeah, how can I influence? How can I bring insights to the business to be able to help the company continue to grow or get out of its sticky situation that it's in right now?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, it is the only function that sits around the table that can look not only outside of the company in the industry and look what's going on, but longevity as well. Mm. Where are the early market indicators? Where should we be moving? And then, you know, helping the rest of the functions in the organization, sales, product development and customer success understand here's what's going on. Here's where we should be skating towards. Mm. So it's a really important impactful role if we get out of the mundane day to day, which is why playing it small and just keeping your head under the covers and just delivering on your pipeline is not going to be good enough.
1: Yeah. And when you were a VP, I mean, how did you sort of practically kind of do this kind of stuff? Did you carve out time to be able to be thinking about strategic stuff? Because invariably you've got things coming at your left, right and centre, haven't you?
0: Yeah, you do. But you know, you always kind of have to go to that point of where can you add value? And so great people in my team who were just experts like product marketing would have its eye on what are the analysts saying, let's do market research, let's kind of figure out what's going on out there in a broader way and take the pulse of the market. And I think you have to make time for that. You know, I would also say as a coach, you also have to make time for upgrading your own kind of skills as well of how you do that.
1: And definitely a good time to be doing that for some people you mentioned earlier about it being crunch time then yeah. which always puts additional pressure i'm sure you've been there yourself yeah. on go-to-market teams and often that can sometimes sort of turn into a bit of a blame game sales blaming marketing for the lack of leads etc but from your experience when you're talking to b2b marketing leaders right now then is that still a challenge is the relationship between sales and marketing still something that is a struggle
0: Yeah. So, you know, we've always had this thing of sales and marketing. Funnily enough, like most of my career and the more senior I got, this is true, including my last CMO role, I elected to report to the CRO or the CSO just to get that alignment. So it's less about sales versus marketing. I think what it's more about is what's actually going on with the additional pressure in the industry and in people's roles right now. And even if it wasn't the economic climate that it is, you'd get that pressure anyway, because when you do well, what happens? They give you bigger targets and bigger teams and bigger budgets and just go do more, right? So I think what we have to take a look at is what's really going on with leadership in those functions and what's happening with the people and the individuals. So from my perspective, what I see is a lot more sort of work-life balance issues, right? How do you do more with less? You know, it's not just about working an extra couple of hours in the evening and then it's the weekends and then you can't see the wood for the trees and then, you know, stress management and how do we handle that? And then if that kind of perpetuates, you know, it's going to have a knock-on impact on people's confidence. So how does that show up with these two different functions? And I think it shows up slightly differently, but there's some commonality. So I think what happens with sales is, and I coach a fair few sales leaders, is, you know, it's funny how many you talk to and if they're honest, they say, I'm only as good as my last sales quarter. And you're like, you're only as good as your last sales quarter. It's like, yeah, because that's what companies say. It's all about this quarter. And it's not even about quarters anymore, as you know, B two B, it's all about SaaS, and with the subscription model, we're going into monthly pressures. So it's even more frequent, and you know, you can't kind of get away from this. So people start getting into this kind of like sink or swim mentality of, well, you know, I've got a fear of failure, right? There's a lot of uncertainty, so I don't want to sink, so I better swim as fast as I can. So I'll just do more, right, and outswim everybody else. But that doesn't work for a long amount of time. You can only do that for a short amount of time. So when I chat with people, and this is whether it's sales or marketing, and with marketing, it's the same, right? There's so many marketing organizations now are metrically driven, you know, whether it's pipeline or digital marketing or whatever it is, there's numbers associated with everything. And it's just a bit of a challenge keeping up with that relentless pace. And so I like to talk to people about, like, if you're an iceberg, there's one face that you've got above the water That calm, I've got it. Yeah, you can give me more. I can handle more. And then the absolute flailing that's going on underneath the surface, which is the majority of the iceberg. And so what it comes down to is when we look at things like confidence, a lot of people do have a belief that I'm not good enough. I'm going to get found out. You know, I'm doing the best that I can, but I'm not sure I really believe that I've got this. So, you know, sales, what happens with them is, yeah, they start pushing on marketing, which isn't natural, right? They'll be told, "Well, you didn't make your sales quarter, so how's your pipeline looking?" And they'll be like, "Oh, pipeline marketing. my pipeline's <laughs> not there." <laughs> and they marketing will like, "Right, I'm solely responsible for your pipeline, am I?" And if we're not careful, sales get smaller, marketing gets smaller, and then we head into conflict, and that's when it's a lose-lose, right? And then you get into weird situations, which I've been in many times, where, you know you get divisional sales leaders coming up with brilliant ideas for marketing. I want to do this event next quarter, or even worse, you know, next week, marketing, can you just do this event? I think it will get us out of the hole that we're in. Obviously, not that easy. So I think what marketing can do is can't control sales, can't control what you can't control, but you can control being that bigger M, as we talked about before, right? And being the advisor, this is going to work, this is not going to work. I think what we should do is this, this and
1: this. Fine, And on a practical level, you touched on a great example there, actually, which is sales almost not pushing on marketing, but look, leads are down, you know, I've got this great, it's always been good for us in the past. Let's do it. Let's do it. If the pressure's high there and the wider aspect, i.e., you know, leads aren't coming through, it can be easier for marketing to sort of toe the line a little bit, isn't it? But let's say you're in that situation. I mean, how would you sort of handle it if the sales are sort of putting the pressure on you and saying, look, hey, v, let's do this event, leads are down, I think it's going to work. Come on, we've got to do something. How would you sort of handle that?
0: Yeah, you've just got to be more strategic. Mm. Being reactive and just saying yes, because you're trying to people-please or for whatever reason, right, trying to get on the good side of sales, even when you know that event is too late, you're not prepared, it's going to be money out the window, why bother? I think in order to not be reactive and be strategic, you have to be confident. Mm. You have to be confident saying, look, here's my advice – And here's my experience and what I think we should do. But get in the boat together and solve the problem together. So don't lose that collaboration. Open a dialogue. It's not a yes, no. It's a let's sit down and have a conversation. But again, you have to be confident. And if you're coming from this mindset of I'm not good enough, you're more likely to buckle in and say, all right, then fine, yeah, I'll do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas a confident marketing leader would feel like, They do have that confidence to be able to say, yeah, no, no, let's go for a coffee. Let's sit down. Let's have a look at what we're trying to solve and solve it together in the best possible way. There are multiple things that we can do. Let's figure out what we want to do. And then you make a joint decision.
1: Great. And when you're talking about getting the boat together, then that's that bit where you're talking about, okay, look, let's jointly solve this. If we're going to do this event, let's do it. But actually, in the next quarter, if this doesn't work, let's move on to these priorities that I've discussed. So you're not necessarily saying no, but you're just kind of jointly agreeing it rather than it being dictatorial.
0: Yeah, and it shouldn't be dictatorial, right? You know, this whole marketing is subservient to sales. You know, that's just hogwash, isn't it? Marketing are there in their own right, as we just talked about. The only function in the company that can pull in market insights in a way that nobody else can. So there's your value there. So I think marketing needs to remind themselves, do bring value. And you as an individual bring value. So be confident in that and have the right level of conversations, but be open about it and be humble. There's really no place for, you know, swords at dawn and let's go into conflict. It's unnecessary.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff. You mentioned earlier about working on yourself. Yeah. You know, I mentioned about sort of people being made redundant. So, Mm. you know, one of the key themes at the moment really is the sort of instability out there in the market. You only have to look at the sort of average tenure of B2B marketing leaders. It's not very long, is it, these days? So, you know, let's say, for instance, you know, you are a B2B marketing leader. You've been made redundant, for instance. It can be a pretty stressful time. Also, if you're in work with this added pressure of the pipeline, all that sort of stuff, it can be very stressful too. So, as you've coached many of these leaders, what leadership development areas are most important do you think for people to be working on that?
0: Yeah, so I think what it really comes down to is whether you're in job or you're in the market for a new job, if you have been laid off, you know, it is again working on that confidence. And, you know, just to kind of tell you like a quick story. So, you know, my nephew who's five, right, comes out of nursery, I pick him up sometimes, comes out of nursery and he's, you know, holding up this picture, I wish I had it now, I've got it somewhere, running around, holding up this picture, which is like two lines of whatever on a piece of paper. But he could not be more excited about what he's come up with. Mm. And he's absolutely full of confidence. And I'm like, oh, Sean, you know, that's, that's really good work. And he was like, no, it's amazing. And we sometimes lose our confidence, but that's exactly what it is. We all had confidence when we were five. So what happened along the way that it kind of chipped away and a layoff is going to be the ultimate knock to confidence, isn't it? You're going to start questioning, oh, was it me? Was it just the circumstance? Could I have done anything different? And then we get in our heads and that's not where we want to be. So I think doing the work necessary to kind of realize, you know, don't come from an insecure place. Come from a place where you understand your worth, you're confident about your abilities And you trust yourself. You're like, yeah, I can do this. I can go get another job and get that promotion. I can do whatever. And not come from this, you know, small, constricted space, regardless of the environment that you're in.
1: And what's the best way to actually build that then, do you think? Because, you know, saying these words are a bit easier than actually building it yourself, isn't it? And even the best people out there, I mean, I'm sort of, talking outside of this sort of space right now, but I just finished watching the Ronnie O'Sullivan documentary on Amazon. So big into my sport, but it's amazing when you see somebody who is as good as that, who also works on himself through a guy called sort of Dr. Steve Peters, who talks about the sort of chimp paradox, isn't it? So, you know, even somebody that is as good as that works on themselves. You know, these words can be sort of easier said than done. What do you think people could be doing to practically sort of build this?
0: Yeah, I think, first of all, just getting honest with themselves about, you know, where they're at. And again, not just the mask that they're putting on for everybody else, but, you know, how are they really feeling behind the scenes? And if they are feeling insecure, figure out why. So the chimp paradox and, you know, that little nagging voice that starts telling you, don't go for that role. You know, that's a bit above you. Are you sure you're going to go for that? You know, play it safe, stay small, keep your head down. Right. All of that negativity is coming from we talk about a lot in coaching about inner critic or the saboteur, right? This is something that you've actually developed and built, right? As a kid, you've done life and you're kind of like, oh, right, okay, well, that situation didn't work out for me. So I'll stop, you know, I'll let the inner critic kind of run that one. And it runs out in front in difficult situations. And your best self and your authentic self is kind of in the backseat a little bit. And if you do that too much, you start to create, just like muscles, like muscle memory, the inner critic in any type of adversity will come out right out front. Well, and then that could be in the course of daily pressures of an everyday situation where you don't want the inner critic coming out like a 10-ton shield. So there, it's about understanding, well, where's that story coming from? It's just a story, but where's it coming from? And then figure out, okay, well, instead of going into autopilot and listening to that story, I'm going to say, no, nah, that's, that's not true. No. Okay. I'm going to do things differently. And then you start building new muscles and firing new neurons and saying, okay, well, if you don't feel good enough, you know, what's going to get you to a place of I am confident and I do feel like I can do this? Because I think every leader and you ask about the traits as well. Every leader, you know, really wants to be more creative, more innovative. I mean, we were in tech. That's the lifeblood of the industry. So you're not going to have big. Ideas and be wildly creative if you're feeling insecure or small. So it's about like flipping the script and saying, no, I can figure out how to get there. You know, another one is trust and empathy. Simon Sinek talks a lot about this, right? You could have the same person in two different companies, wildly different experience. And so leadership should be about making people feel like it's a safe environment. I've got your back. Understanding where people are coming from, what's going on with them outside of work. So these are all traits, and I would say, to answer your question, Matt, if you're somebody who's out of work and looking, invest in yourself to be the leader that you want to show up as.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, in the U.S., they have a big coaching philosophy, don't they? Yeah counseling even, where you can lay yourself bare and sort of get these things off your mind. So I think sometimes us British are a little bit more reserved with this sort of stuff, aren't we? (laughs) It sounds like we need to get out of that really. So final question then, Pavey, you have been Mm -hmm. a B2B tech marketing leader yourself then. So what do you think it takes then to become a successful B2B tech marketing leader right now?
0: there's a lot that can be done around confidence but being confident and understanding your value and be strategic don't play small now is not the time to play small that's number one number two is innovation in creativity have those big bold ideas but again you have to have the confidence in order to have them in the first place and the third one matt is about being humble it's this idea of service-based leadership So it's, you know, taking care of people that are in your charge, not having this idea of you're in charge and at the top of the pyramid. And I think with that comes a lot of collaboration. And it's not just about you and you winning. It's about taking the whole team along with you. So I think with good leadership, a lot of leaders aspire to be present And that's a lot of what's talked about. And a lot of like, you know, people in HR with the company values will talk about be present and be authentic, but people don't necessarily know how to be present and authentic. Presence is a big one that's coming up right now, particularly because of the climate that we talked about earlier. It's hard to not worry about the past or be anxious about the future and truly be in the present when you've got so many pressures going on. So a lot of what I do is get people to follow some of the work like Stephen Kotler's work of be in flow, right? And figure out how do you stay present? Because otherwise you're really no good to anyone. You know, you're doing a half-assed job. And so I think presence is a huge theme in the industry right now, not just in tech, across the board in leadership, that a lot of people are like, well, how do I stay present?
1: And when people talk about being authentic then, particularly companies, you know, we have leadership that is authentic then. What do they actually mean by that? Because you'll never know if somebody's been authentic or not, will you, unless you know you're talking to the real person. So from your experience, what do you think that means then when people talk about being authentic?
0: Yeah, when you take off the mask, there's only one you that's there, Hmm. right? It's the real you. It's the you that, you know, doesn't worry too much, isn't too cautious, isn't playing it small. You're confident and you're present. You've got great ideas. You're a good communicator. You don't worry about the pressures of the situation. You can just turn up as the human being that you are. And that's about it. It's just be human. Just Mm. be you. But we spend so much of our corporate careers with the mask on. Oh, how should I look? Oh, I need to fit in a little bit better in. If I do this, that seems to play better with this group of people. And then all of a sudden, we're too far away from ourselves to even recognize ourselves, let alone to actually turn up as that. And it requires a little bit of vulnerability and people struggle with that in the workplace you know when I ask people what do you think vulnerability is they'll say weakness and it's not it's about being willing and open enough to take off that mask and say here's the real me this is who I really am you might not like it but then again I'm not trying to please you so this is me.
1: I mean you touched on some great points I mean we're a similar age Pavy. so you know when I started work it was very much you kind of fit in you try and fit in more you try and adapt yourself in terms of how you look how you sound how you act to the successful people around you and that was always sort of tapped into you or drilled into you even more i mean you know that's how sort of a lot of culture back in the sort of 90s and early 2000s was run really wasn't it and you know i can remember this is years and years back going to companies and saying look we want to hire people like this they'd almost like show you the people that they wanted to hire like so it's changed a lot, hasn't it?
0: Yeah. In our minds, I think that became a blueprint and you mm. just started mimicking and emulating what you thought was good leadership. But if it's not authentic and it's not you, it's not your leadership style. So it's never actually going to work for you. You're right. When we came into the workplace, there was a lot of that going on. I am happy to say a younger workforce, I coach a lot of people that are in their um, 30s, they don't have that mentality. They're like, I'm turning up as me. And, you know, it's going to be good enough. This is who I am. And it's a non-negotiable. It needs to be this way. But a lot of the issues that I see with people around our age is they have to undo a lot of the learned behavior of what they think they needed to do to fit in. And it's much worse for women, right? Because in B2B tech, women are fitting into a male-dominated area. So they're trying to, you know, act more like men. And that's never going to work for women either.
1: Love it. Love it. Well, Pavey, this has been a fantastic talk. You know, you've got so many good points in this. The one that sort of struck me was this small and big M. Uh, I love it. You know, the idea that people should really get out there and start playing big. And now is the time to really do that. So it's been fascinating to hear you talk about this. If anybody wants to reach out to you for any questions or advice or help, what's the best way of them doing it?
0: Find me on LinkedIn, ping me there, go to my website, haveyapurawal.com, it's just my name.com. Yeah, get in touch. I'd love to chat with people more.
1: Pavey, you're a star. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.